Well, over the past several weeks, we have seen, uh, as we've looked through Peter's first letter together, we have seen that one of these overriding themes for the entirety of the letter revolves around the identity of a believer in Jesus and the life or the lifestyle of that believer. While Peter says it in a few different ways, the identity of a believer, who a believer in Jesus is, is at its very core a changed identity, a, a changed being because of Jesus. Jesus gives, he is the giver of new life. And with the giving of new life, Jesus then gives to his followers, those who believe in him, a new way of life. Because you are different, Peter says repeatedly, live differently. You have been born again through the resurrection of Jesus. You've been ransomed from the old life into a new one. You've been made into a new community. Believers in Jesus are sojourners and exiles together as an alternative community to the world around them. This new way of life is meant to be lived together corporately in holiness with a new set of beliefs, values, morals, customs, and priorities. Jesus, simply put, gives new life and gives a new way of life. And as we begin to approach the end of Peter's first letter this morning, as we look at 1 Peter chapter 4, 1 through 11, we see Peter set out two very concrete, practical ways that this new life is to be lived. On the one hand, this, this new way of life is to be lived for the will of God and not for the will of the flesh. And on the other hand, this new life is to be lived corporately together in love, in hospitality, and in service. Now, what motivates believers in this is Jesus on the one hand and the promise of judgment to come on the other. And so because Jesus is our Lord and Savior, what Peter writes then is that we are to arm ourselves, what Peter writes to this audience, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, the same thinking as Jesus himself. Jesus as we read in our gospel this morning, Jesus had one primary motivation, one desire. And that was to do the will of the Father. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And so when Peter calls upon sojourners and exiles, his sort of code words, code names for believers in Jesus, when, when Peter calls upon sojourners and exiles to arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, he is calling upon sojourners and exiles to do exactly what Jesus did. Set as priority the will of God. That means living as God would have you live. That means believing in Jesus as God would have you believe in Jesus. That means doing what God would have you do. Necessarily, it's a necessity that living for the will of God means that we no longer live for human passions. Necessarily, that means that people who have a new life in Jesus and have been given a new way of life in Jesus, that for those folks, there are some things they do 
and some things they don't do. I really worked hard to figure out how I could work in Yoda into today's sermon. <laughs> do or do not, there is no try, but I found the picture of DNA and I thought that was better. Sojourners and exiles live differently because of Jesus, because of who he is and because of who they are in him. Then that means they live differently than the world around them. They live differently than the cultures they find themselves in. And that means that they live differently than even the way they lived before they knew Jesus. If you look at chapter 4, verse 3, look what Peter says. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Peter really is saying, you've already done that enough. Enough already. You don't have to do it anymore. The time that has passed suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Gentiles here, again, a code word for non-believers. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. That's a Saturday night on most college campuses, right? <laughs> Peter's referring to unrestrained desire. He's referring to the seeking of pleasure through sex and food and drink. And those were all normal parts of the first century culture. And it still continues to be a normal part of, of life in this culture. There are adult-only vacation spots called hedonism. And it's so popular, it's also hedonism too. Hedonism, by the way, is just about seeking pleasure. So Peter is writing to these folks who are believers in Jesus, and he's essentially saying, you've done enough of that self-seeking, pleasure-seeking, unrestrained life. You've done enough of that. You have been redeemed out of the former ways of ignorance. You have been redeemed out of those feudal ways that you inherited from your forefathers. You're done with those things. Be done with them. You have a new way of life. Live this new way of life. Peter's point is that, that what is normal in a world's eyes is quite often sin in God's eyes. And what God calls normal or what God desires as normal is quite often uh, mocked in the world's eyes. They've done enough of these things already and they're called to be done with them. Be done with them. Resolve in your mind to do God's will, Peter writes. No longer live for the passions of the flesh. Live differently. But what happens when a believer in Jesus begins to live differently? What happens when believers in Jesus make the resolution to cease with sin? Well, in verse 4, Peter tells us what we already know. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. When believers in Jesus resolve to live a life for the will of God and to be done with sin, they will suffer. At the very least, they're going to suffer as their former partners in sin will be surprised and then get angry and insult, marginalize, revile, or malign them. Not participating in the old sins of the old life implies judgment upon those things. And rather than hear judgment, rather than heed the warning, old friends and old partners in sin will lash out attempting to justify their own behavior and slander those who dare to live a new way of life changed by God's grace. 
The dark hates to have the depth of its darkness revealed, and so it strikes back. This is suffering. This is suffering that is the consequence of resolving to be done with sin. And this type of suffering, what Peter has referred to before as suffering for doing good, this type of suffering in the flesh comes when one would rather suffer for living like Jesus and seeking God's will than they would sin. This kind of suffering comes when they show how they feel about how they regard their sins. They've made a resolution to cease from them. The proof of ceasing is in the suffering. In, in verse 1 and verse 2, or verse 1 actually, Peter makes this reference that whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. This isn't some idea of sinless perfection. This isn't the idea that you can suddenly in your life become 100% free of sin. What this is a reference to is the sojourner or the exile having made the deliberate and conscious decision empowered by the Holy Spirit and driven by the desire to please God to be done with the sins, habits, and lifestyles of the past. And in this suffering, believers are able to take heart because God will judge all. God will judge all. Those who align themselves against the gospel and against God's holy nation will be judged by God. Peter says in verse 5, they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. The reality of judgment is something that people don't really like to think about, but the reality of God's judgment is both a necessity and something, I think, to be celebrated. It's a necessity for God's goodness and for his justice. If God was not good, then God wouldn't set things to right. And if God didn't set things to right, then God wouldn't be good. It's in God's justice and in God's timing that all things, even a mismanaged football game with Oklahoma State and Central Michigan, will be set right. Because God is good. And it's something to be celebrated. God's judgment is something to be celebrated because in it and through it, all that is evil will be judged as evil. If God didn't judge, God wouldn't be good. And here in Peter's letter, the, the reality of God's judgment is the very reason why the gospel is preached. It is preached so that those who hear and believe and those who believing in Jesus will be judged by the one who saves. The gospel is preached so that those who do die, and, and we're all going to die, but that, that the gospel is preached so that it will be believed so that death won't even separate us from the love of God and some, from salvation in Jesus. And just because one does die having believed in the gospel is not a, a negation of their faith. It isn't just now those who are alive who will be judged, but those who have died will as well. And Peter brings that up. He brings up those who were once alive, who have heard the gospel and then died, as he discusses the reality of, of coming judgment. And he echoes the words of Jesus from John chapter 11. Those who die in Christ will truly live even if they die. And so for a believer in Jesus, the, the reality of coming judgment is motivation to live differently. It's motivation to live this, this new 
way of life, not only being done with the things of the past, sort of this action in the negative, so to speak, but living positively in specific ways towards fellow believers. Peter says, speaking of judgment, the end of all things is at hand. And that's pretty interesting. The end of all things is at hand. Peter, who wrote this maybe 30 years after Jesus lived, so uh, probably or after Jesus ascended into heaven, so we're probably talking about 2,000 years ago. From Peter's perspective, we've been living in the end of all things uh, for 2,000 years. There seems to be some end times hysteria uh, in modern America. People trying to forecast when Jesus would return. Uh, when Anna and I were privileged to live in Modesto, California, there was a, a man by the name of Harold Camping in the fall of 2010 who said that Jesus was going to come again on October 21st, 2010. And on October 22nd, he had to excuse why he was still hanging around. <laughs> I mean, the reality for us is that, that the, the, because of Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension, all of creation has in, entered into what we can call the last days or the, the end times. We've entered into the last stage of God's great plan of redemption. If we really think about it, the only thing that is left for God to do, and when I say what is left for God to do, what I mean by that is the, all that's left that God hasn't yet done that he said he would do is have Jesus return and bring judgment. God has created this world. God has uh, seen center sin enter in. God has called Abraham and delivered the people of Israel through the Exodus. God created the kingdom of Israel. It betrayed and followed after idols and was conquered. And, and God still sent them into exile and still brought them out. Jesus was born. He did live. He, he did proclaim the kingdom of God. He was crucified. He was physically raised from the dead. He ascended into heaven where he sits at the right hand of the Father, awaiting that time where he will be sent to make all things his footstool. The Holy Spirit Spirit was poured out upon the church. All that is left for God to do in his plan of salvation is to send Jesus with judgment. And so we are in the last times today. If Peter can say it 2,000 years ago, then we can say it today. And here's the thing, for Peter, that ought to then lead us to live a new way of life. When Jesus returns, creation will be renewed. The living and the dead will be judged. Those who believe in Jesus and have received his new way of life will be judged and enter into eternal life in his kingdom where they shall reign forever and ever, where they will give praise and honor and glory to the king on high forever and ever. But those who rejected Jesus and his offer of life, they will be, according to scripture, cast into the outer darkness of hell. That's judgment. It's coming. And because this is the future to come, sojourners and exiles live differently. They live this new way of life. Living in obedience to God is not an effort to earn God's favor. It's not an effort to earn salvation. Living in obedience to God is, is simply responding to the one who has given us so much grace appropriately. Sojourners and exiles are called to respond to God's grace because it is the end of all things, or the end of all things is at hand by being self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of prayers. Think about that, that be in control of the self, be in control of, of thoughts. 
One of the things that greatly lacks in the 21st century culture of America is simple self-control. Self-control, a clear mind, discerning what is happening, understanding what's going on around you, understanding these things in light of the gospel. And so you can then pray with an informed mind, clear about what is happening, clear about who God is, and clear about who you are. Above all, uh, Peter writes in verse 8, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Another mark of this new way of life is love that fellow believers have for one another, even when they don't feel like it. Jesus' blood makes brothers and sisters out of folks who were before strangers, acquaintances, and even enemies. God creates through Jesus a new family, a a holy nation, and that holy nation, that new family, is to be defined by the love they have for one another. I believe it was Jesus who said, by this all men will know that you are mine, the way you love one another. It's not an emotion, this love that Peter's talking about. It's not the uh, butterflies in the stomach and the warm ooey-gooey's. It's not the chemical releases in our brains. This is a resolve of the will to act rightly toward the other person regardless even of the emotion. This love is willing to put up with others. This love is willing to not allow molehills to become mountains. This love is willing to be quick to forgive and slow to hold a grudge. It is an act of the will. It is in action. It is in hospitality. And it is in service. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. This is an aspect of love. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Serving one another, serving the church, isn't so much about uh, yourself. It's about you recognizing how much you love the other person. Sojourners and exiles are called to live differently because of who they are, because of the future to come. They are to live differently by resolving to be done with sin and to live for God's will. They are to live differently by being clear-minded and self-controlled. They are to live differently by loving, showing hospitality, and serving. And in all of this, we need to take a, take a look at a few things. You know, first, notice with me, that, that Peter doesn't write these things as mere suggestions or options. Peter doesn't say, hey, you know, if you feel like it, when you maybe get around to it, show hospitality and, and serve one another. But only if you really feel like it, and only if you really think that you're young enough or old enough, and only if you ever really think that you're equipped enough, and only if you ever really think it's the right Thursday of the month. That's not really what Peter ever says here. Notice that. Peter, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes with apostolic authority, and he calls, he commands those who serve, those who believe in Jesus to love one another, to show caring hospitality, and to serve. There is no exception clause here. All, every single believer has received at least one gift from God. And Paul, in, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul goes into greater detail. But both Paul and Peter have the same point. God gives gifts to his people so that they would serve one another. And having been given this gift, what are you going to do with it? Sometimes we are too much like Lenny in Of Mice and Men. You guys read Lenny, Mice and Men? Have you ever 
Nobody, you haven't read of Mice and Men and Steinbeck? There's a cartoon character in Bugs Bunny that's based on Lenny. So Lenny takes this little puppy he got, right? He just wants to love it and hold it and call it his own. He just wants to just be with this little puppy. But he smothers it. He doesn't allow anyone else to see it, touch it. He doesn't allow anyone else to ever interact with it, and he ends up killing it. The big red abominable guy on Bugs Bunny, who just wants to have Bugs Bunny and love him and squeeze him and call him his own, based on Lenny. Far too often, that's what we do with the gifts that God gives us. We keep them for ourselves. We hold on to them. We cling to them. It's mine. No, it's not yours. God gave it to you to use. This is what Peter says. If you don't use the gift that God has given you, you are not correctly stewarding the gift. You're wasting it. It's not loving, nor is it kind, nor is it glorifying to God to hang on to our own little gifts as if they're just our little cookie and and we're not going to share. Peter says to be a good steward, you must use the gift in service of others. Why? Because it's the end of the the days are here. Why are we supposed to love one another? Why are we supposed to be merciful and kind? Because the end of days is upon us. It's quite serious, actually. If you think about the gifts that God has given in his varied grace, it's quite serious for us not to use them. Jesus tells an entire parable about that. They must, Peter writes, use that gift and treat it with all the seriousness it deserves. Why? Because you're serving another person who's made in the image of God. Why? Because it's a gift from God himself. Why? Because ultimately, when we use and then we serve out of the gift that God has given us, we do so in the strength that God supplies and for God's glory. It isn't just cleaning urinals. It's cleaning urinals for God's glory. It isn't just greeting at the front door. It's greeting people for God's glory. It isn't just setting the altar. It's setting the altar for God's glory. It isn't just singing the songs. It's singing the songs for God's glory. It isn't just knitting prayer shawls. It's doing that for God's glory. We steward the gift that he has given. We serve in the strength that he has given And we give glory to God who gives all things, even and especially this new way of life in Jesus. As we serve out of the gifts, we give glory to the one to whom belongs all glory and dominion forever and ever. I hope you see with me how incredibly practical Peter is here. Peter essentially says, listen, you're different, so live differently. And judgment is coming, so live in light of that judgment. This is so incredibly practical. Sojourners and exiles, believers in Jesus, live according to God's will and are done with the sinful ways of the past. That practical statement leads to a practical question that demands an honest answer. Am I done with the sinful ways of the past that God has redeemed me from through Jesus Christ? Or am I like that dog that Peter uses a little bit later who returns to his vomit as I return to my sin. That very practical statement, sojourners and exiles are clear-minded and self-controlled, praying, 
That very practical statement leads to the very uh, required practical question that requires an honest answer. Am I self-controlled? Am I clear-minded? Am I praying? Sojourners and exiles love well. Do I love well? Sojourners and exiles show hospitality. Do I? Sojourners and exiles serve out of the grace that is given them out of the strength God gives them for God's glory. And that very practical statement comes back to a very practical question that demands an honest answer. Do I serve? Sojourners and exiles live differently because of who they are and because of the future to come. Sojourners and exiles, having received a new life and have been given a new way of life in Jesus, and are called to live that, being done with the sins of the past, looking towards the future, living now in love, hospitality, and service. And I've said this to you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.